Holy cow, do we have a powerful, powerful show that you don't want to miss a second of. First of all, we take on Aunt Jemima. I mean, I'm glad she's gone. But what about Mr. Coffee? Also, we have found a guy um, through some old videos that he made a couple of years ago. He's not even in America anymore. He's out in Africa. We got him on the phone from Africa to tell us all about social justice and what he calls ethnic Gnosticism. It's a powerful interview. Also, we also check in with Matt Ridley on coronavirus and what's the truth and what's not. And the guy who was working for San Diego Gas and Electric that got fired for making a peace sign, which he says he wasn't doing, which is, of course, a racist symbol, according to the guy who was driving next to his truck. But that's not the story at all. He was fired. The person driving next to his truck said, I got it wrong. And now, San Diego Gas and Electric won't hire him back. You won't believe his story, all on today's podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. We have uh, Dr. Vodi Bacham on with us. He is the Dean of Theology of African Christian University. He's on Skype with us from Zambia. Uh, and I want to I want to talk to you uh, about a couple of things. We have about 15 minutes here left. So can you can you please explain the difference between social justice that a Christian would understand uh, and the social justice that is now being preached from many of our pulpits? That is an anti-Christian message. Well. Social justice has been understood clearly for a while. And social justice is distributive justice. Social justice is about uh, redistributing um, resources and opportunities. Uh, Social justice is not the same as the biblical idea and the biblical concept of justice. You also need to understand that uh, social justice is built on uh, the back of critical theory, which is all about the idea of you know, hegemony and power structures. And hegemony may sound like a big academic word. It just means that there, uh, there's a power structure that exists because of the individuals who set the rules of the game. And they and, did it and, in and, order to... A critical theory is Marxist. I just want to throw that in, correct? That's a Karl Marx theory. Yes, absolutely. Yes, okay. yes most assuredly. All right, go ahead. Yeah. And so- the idea is that the, the, the power structure comes from uh, the elites who establish things. They, they, they set the rules of the game, and they set the rules of the game in order to benefit themselves and, and their posterity. And everybody else is oppressed because they're not part of the hegemony. This, by the way, is why women, although they're a majority, are considered an oppressed minority because the hegemony is white, male, Christian, heterosexual, cisgendered, you know, on and on and on and on and on. Okay. Um, And so social justice is about really transferring power from those in the hegemony to those in oppressed groups. Uh, The individual doesn't matter. And again, this is why this bothers me so much, because as a Christian and as a minister of the gospel, I preach Christ and him crucified. I preach the the work that he has done and that we need to receive personally. 
if if we get into this critical theory business where everything becomes structural, all of a sudden this gospel has to either be transformed into something that the Bible doesn't recognize or mm-hmm. it has to be checked out. And so this social justice movement, Black Lives Matter, for example, anyone who reads what they believe will see that they are anti-Christian. They are fundamentally anti-Christian. Um, and so this this whole idea, this whole idea of the social justice movement, and I get a lot of flack for it because, you know, either you have conscious bias or unconscious bias or you have internalized bias if you don't, mm-hmm. you know, buy this Jiminy, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, so it's interesting how uh, critical theory sort of hedges itself in and protects itself on all sides, oh. right? Uh, it's a, it's a, it's the same as witch hunts. It's same as witch hunts. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's exactly what a witch would say. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I mean, how do you defend yourself? So let me ask. Yeah. Let me ask. I, I have two more questions for you. First of all, um, the people that I know, the white people that I, the Americans that I know. First of all, this is happening all over the world. This is not an American problem. It's not a white person problem. Uh, you know, the Chinese have concentration camps for people who are different than them. This is the oldest story, and it is the internal struggle of each individual as well as a society. Um, but the white people that I know, we're all we're like, this is not 1956. It's not 1968. It's not it's not 1988. We we're fine we want people to be equal this system is corrupted our founding system is so corrupted that it is causing all kinds of problems we've never really you know lived up to the declaration of independence but we all want to or most of us want to but we feel like we're just absolutely under attack and this kind of message is going to make race relations much worse how do we help how do what do we do without playing into the evil of Marxism? Yeah, and and I'm I'm going to tell you I this is one of the things that really bothers me about this. I've been on social media since the 22nd of, of of May, but these messages have been out there for years. I've been talking about this for years, um, and have really been frustrated uh, with this and with the way that the attacks come. Um, I've been trying to talk about this from the perspective of the big picture. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. when you talk about it from the big picture, people tend to think, oh, you just don't have empathy. You just don't have compassion. You just don't understand Mm -hmm. how bad it is. Um, Me, who who grew up in drug-infested, gang-infested South Central LA, born in 1969, grew up during the crack era, grew up during the crack wars, if you will, raised by a single teenage Buddhist mother. I wasn't raised in Christianity, never heard the gospel until I got to the to, to university. And so for people to try to marginalize me because I don't understand, I've been pulled over by the cops. I've been down on the sidewalk because I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I know these kinds of things happen. And yet, I still say that these ideologies are poisonous and they have to be confronted. 
because these ideologies actually undermine our message as Christians. I'm concerned about people. I'm concerned about justice. I'm concerned about souls. And I know where this stuff comes from. I understand where it comes from. And I am not willing to lay down my Bible and have anyone force me to agree with certain things simply because if I don't, they will, you know, they will somehow label me and call me names. I couldn't care less about people labeling me and calling me names. I know who I am before God. Uh, my conscience is clear. And so hmm. I, I am, I'm worried about this like you. I'm also an American who, as an expat in a foreign country, uh, I've been to dozens of countries in the world. And there's two things that I know. Number one, black people in America are the freest and most prosperous black people in the world. Period. Bar none. The second thing is this, people outside of America think that we are the most oppressed people in the world. And, and people actually think that things like George Floyd are happening every day, that they're not an anomaly, but that they're commonplace. And the reputation as uh, outside of our borders it sickens me and it saddens me, but also the reputation that black people have, that somehow we are weak and impotent and that we can't do or be anything unless white people do it for us, which, by the way, is kind of racist. I, I believe <laughs> that by race, I am a descendant of some of the strongest people in the history of the world. We overcame slavery. And now we're bowing and scraping like we need somebody to do something for us. Our individuality is at stake. Our self-pride is at stake. And our trust in God as the answer and solution to our problems is at stake. And so for me, uh, this, is a, this is a very complex issue, but it's one that I'm very passionate about. I, I will tell you that I am, I am struck by... Uh, well, the first time I went to Israel, and I honestly didn't know much about the politics of the region. And I was walking down the street in the old city, and there's a place where the Palestinian section stops. It's just one street, one one place. It's just an archway that separates the Jewish quarter from the Palestinian quarter. And you walk through it, and one is dirty and dingy and dark, and the other is light and bright and clean. And you are within five feet of of both of those things. And uh, and it struck me that one side just says, I don't care what anybody else says. I'm doing this. And the other side is has been told for so long. It's because of them. They're stopping you. And I'm the only one that can help you. And it stifles growth. I think the the black community has been lied to by the progressive movement. Uh, really almost since Booker T. Washington uh, died. I mean, they were lied to before that, but when Booker T. died, there was, a, there was a shift from, we can do this, we don't need anybody, we can do this. And it's been this constant battle of, no, 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 you're being oppressed even now, you don't even know it, and you'll never get out unless these people. My dad used to say to me, Life isn't a series of things that happen to you, Glenn. 
Life is what you do with those things. And that's the most depressing thing about the message that's coming out of Black Lives Matter is you're oppressed. You'll never be able to do anything about it unless these people are gone. Well, that that's there's no empowerment in that. Yeah. Very little hope. That's another thing that I'm hearing is that there's very little hope. And if our only hope is that, you know, certain people um, begin to have empathy or begin to do whatever it is that we think certain people need to do, then we have no hope. My, my hope is in God. My hope is in Christ. My hope is not in America. Um, my hope is not in, in, in white people, black people. And my hope is in God. My hope is in Christ. And, and what, what worries me also is as an academic, I mean, I'm a dean. And um, I'm sure you saw that anonymous email that went out from the, the Berkeley professor. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. This a, is an anonymous black people. professor. Yeah, there are people in academia who are not free to investigate issues and do honest academic work. And so what we're left with is these simplistic answers, right? Um, And so you have people who quote statistics on this side versus people who quote statistics on that side, right? Two and a half times more likely to be shot by police, 18 and a half times more likely to, you know, shoot police officers, whatever, right? And, And in both instances, we're giving these simplistic answers where the truth is something that's complex. And so if we have automatically said, Anybody who picks the statistics from this column is evil and shouldn't mm-hmm. be listened to. Then we've also said that we are not going to honestly pursue complex answers to complex issues. And what that means is we're going to use white people or use black people. Rather, we're going to use their story. We're going to use their suffering in order to advance our cause. Glenn, that's what's been happening for decades, and what has it yeah. gotten us? And so Nothing. here we are. We have black mayors, black police chiefs. You know, we you know we have a president who who's a, a bi-ethnic president. You know, and, and, you know all of these you know, senators and everything else, right? But by the testimony of black people themselves, the feeling is that things are actually not better. The feeling is that the questions haven't been answered. And so the frustration grows and the hopelessness Mm -hmm. grows and the alienation grows. And what I'm saying is we're looking for answers in the wrong places. Let's the hard work. Ask hard questions. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I would love to have you back on again and uh, would love to bring you to the United States. I uh, your voice really needs to be amplified. Thank you so much for being on with us. We'll have you on again. Uh, my best of luck. I don't even know what time it is in Zambia. What time is it? Uh, in the afternoon? It is, is it in the afternoon? More in the afternoon, almost. Yeah, yeah. we're six hours right. ahead. Well, thank you so much for... Yeah, thank you so much. God bless you. And uh, stay safe. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program. 
Matt Ridley is the author of How Innovation Works, uh, recent theories also on the coronavirus. I've been following his, uh, his tweets. He's, his website, therationaloptimist.com, and he joins us now. Are you in London today still, Matt? No, Glenn, I'm in Newcastle in northern England, so uh, uh, not okay. in London, but, uh, but up north. Well, for the, re- for the rest of, you know, America, mm, that's still London. You know yeah, I mean? fair enough. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so, uh, Matt, uh, I, I want to talk to you a, a little bit about as we start to go back to work, we're starting to hear that this thing is heating up. And I think the worst thing that any of these officials could do is to uh, tell people that it's OK to go out in March and it was responsible after telling the rest of us, screw your business you may lose your job, but you must stay in. Now, if there is another uh, wave of this and it is really bad, I think you're going to have a hard time convincing a lot of people to stay in. They're going to say, screw you. You didn't even believe it. Well, I do think there has been an extraordinary double standard uh, expressed by a lot of people in the media and officials uh, condoning protests, but uh, still telling the rest of us that we have to stay home and mustn't uh, go out and mix with people. You know, in this country, we're not allowed to go to the pub. We're not allowed to, uh, you know, have have any fun at all. But if we uh, were to go, as thousands did uh, a couple of weekends ago, to London and march in really close proximity to each other and shout and scream, which, of course, means you're, you know, spreading a lot of droplets in the air, um, uh, then nobody seems to object. And I do, you know, a lot of us feel that 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 is a double standard. It needs to be called out. Either those protests are going to produce a very nasty second spike of the virus, or we're going to find that it doesn't do that. And all the evidence so far suggests that it doesn't do that. There's no sign of an uptick, certainly in, in London, of either cases or of reports of people starting to feel ill and calling emergency hotlines and things like that. And it's already two so weeks the- down, down the road. So either it, it looks like uh, this has proved that we don't need so much social distancing anymore because we're into this, the season when this doesn't spread very well. We've done a lot of the voluntary stuff, which has made it very difficult for the virus to spread. And we can try and get our lives back to normal and get people's jobs back and get people's you know, cancer appointments back and all these things that, that, that we've stopped. Matt, the, uh, the America's golden calf of the spring was Dr. Fauci. And now Fauci is saying... He wouldn't go to any of these Trump rallies. It's just too dangerous. And now we also find out there may be no immunity. Look what's happening in China. These people should have been immune. They're not immune. And it's coming for a second wave. So which is it? Is it, is it dangerous? Or can you go out in these crowds and not have any real lasting effects? Which, which one? And who do we believe? Well- of course, the, the true answer is we still don't fully know. This is a new virus and we are still learning all the time. However, we can say some things with, with great clarity. Uh, and one of them is that young people are at very, very, very low risk indeed. Um, that if you're over 80, it is a serious problem. It is a very dangerous uh, virus if you've got underlying conditions. 
Uh, and those are the people we need to be really careful and keep away from crowds and keep away from social contact with, with people because young people can spread it, but they're very unlikely to suffer seriously from it. Um, uh, the, so that's a, that's a really important point, I think, that we need to understand. And on the point of immunity, there are lots of different uh, things leading in different directions. It, it, there isn't a huge amount of what you call B-cell immunity, that is to say antibodies in the population, but there's another kind of immunity called T-cell immunity, which is partially effective and which seems to be very widespread in the population. Some reports have said 40%, some reports have said 70% of kids under the age of four have this kind of immunity and that's why they're not catching the disease. Now, why have they got this kind of immunity? Because there are four other coronaviruses that we catch pretty well every winter. Um, they're called the common cold. They're one of the causes of the common cold. Uh, and they have given us a degree of immunity to coronaviruses. And once you factor in that, that maybe a big chunk of the population is already partly immune, then it turns out that the virus will die back of its own accord, particularly in summer, with only voluntary measures, and you won't need uh, these uh, drastic compulsory lockdowns. But, as I say, we don't know that for sure. That's the way it's looking at the moment. It does seem, uh, Matt, that, you know, there, the seasonal aspect of it, it can be both encouraging and discouraging. Like, we are seeing some in the United States where there have been some states where we're seeing a little bit of a bounce back. But it does seem to be at least some seasonal effect. However, does that signify we're in for it in a, in a, in a big way going forward when we get to fall? I think that is a concern because um, all these respiratory viruses are seasonal. Flu is seasonal, colds are seasonal, and we don't really know why. Um, I mean, it's just quite interesting to, to talk briefly about one of those coronaviruses that cause colds. It's called OC43. It's the commonest of the common cold coronaviruses. It's highly seasonal. You only get it in winter on the whole. Now, genomic evidence, genetic evidence suggests that that first entered the human population around 1890. Well, it turns out there was a very bad epidemic of what was so-called Russian flu in 1889 to 90, and it sounds very like what we had today. It hit old people harder than young people. Uh, it hit men harder than women. So it could be that that was the first entry of that virus into the population, and it killed a million people, uh, and it spread all around the world. Uh, but then it became much more harmless. And it's so harmless now that you and I have probably had it several times. We get partial immunity to it, but in a few years later, you can get it again, and, and you just call it a, a cold. Um, so that holds out hope in the long run that this virus will also turn harmless. And the, re the reason that happens with respiratory viruses, not necessarily with other kinds of viruses, uh, is because the virus wants you out there protesting and coughing and having fun and talking to people because that way it can spread more easily. If you go to bed and lie still for a week and don't see anybody, then that's no good to the virus. The virus needs another um, destination. So, uh, Matt, um, have we, is there a definitive answer yet on where this came from? I, I just talked to somebody who said, uh, no, 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 the researchers have found that uh, China uh, uh, put this bat virus, I think, into a mouse or something, and it's documented over in China with video. They talked about doing it. They weren't weaponizing it. They were just experimenting. Um, and he said because of that, and he had all the scientific jargon, because of that, it's a, it's a, uh, 
a virus that was released and doesn't have any real staying power to it, and it's going to get weaker and weaker. Have you looked into that? Have you heard that? I have looked into this, and I don't know the answer any more than anybody else. We are still very uncertain here, and I don't know what, 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 what happened. But there are several key things that we now do know. The first is that it did not jump from an animal to a human being in that seafood market in Wuhan. We know that for two reasons. One, because the animals in the seafood market turn out to be uh, to, to test negative. There was no uh, animal they could find that tested positive. The Chinese only announced that very recently, even though they did the tests early in January. It would have been helpful if they'd let us know a bit sooner. Um, uh, secondly, um, we know that it was already very well adapted to human beings in the people who caught it in the market. Uh, so what mm. this tells us is that the market was a super spreader event. It was a person spreading it in the market, not an animal. Now, that does make it less likely that we need to, well, you know, that, 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 that means that we need to look for other sources of where it came from. And with respect to the labs, there are several questions we need to answer if we are to rule out the possibility that it's a lab leak. Wuhan is one of the centers of coronavirus research in the world, one of the two top centers for coronavirus research in the world. They were working on coronaviruses. They were combining parts of one virus with another, making so-called chimeric viruses. They handled the uh, sample taken from a mine shaft in 2013 that is the closest bat sample to the one we have. For some reason, they changed the name of that sample when they announced it in, in January uh, and didn't uh, say that it was from a mine shaft. We're a little unsure about why that is, but we know that three miners died in that mine shaft from a pneumonia-like illness that turned out to be a coronavirus. So presumably their lungs were analyzed too. We need to know what, what that was. Um, we know that when they do these experiments in Wuhan to make combined viruses, they take the so-called receptor binding domain from one virus and add it to the backbone of another. And that's what this virus looks like. It looks like it's got a pangolin part for one part and a bat part for another. We know they can do that without leaving a trace. It used to be argued until a few weeks ago um, that if they had done that, they would very clearly leave a signature, a sort of restriction mm -hmm. um, enzyme signature, to, to give it its proper name. Um, we know that they can do it without doing that. So there's a whole bunch of things that we know make it possible for this to have been made deliberately in the lab with a view to understanding its virulence, not with a view to making a bioweapon, and that it's possible that it therefore leaked. Now, to rule that out, the Chinese authorities need to bring forward all the researchers involved in that program and give us a complete and open account of exactly what experiments they did and why they think it did not leak. And then we can be reassured. It's in their interest to do that. How do you think history is going to look back at the response of this? This is the first time in human history that we have shut everything down. I mean, they, they shut things down in London for the you know London plague, but not like this. Um, uh, this is really kind of a test run of does this work? Can we even do it? How is this going to be viewed in history as a, a good thing or, you know, the first in the way we handled viruses? How is this going to be remembered? I think this is going to be remembered as a pretty big, disastrous 
series of policy mistakes. So uh, we reacted yep. too slowly at the start. We overreacted in the middle. We relied too much on scientific models, which were uh, flawed in their forecasting. Um, uh, and as you say, we used thoroughly illiberal and compulsory means to shut down the whole of society doing huge economic damage without, uh, and then the worst mistake of all, um, we let it run rampant through the care home system, um, both in my country and in New York State. There have been cases where um, patients were sent from hospitals to care homes without being tested for the virus. Uh-huh. That caused an epidemic in the care home. So, so there's a whole series of mistakes that I think I'm afraid are pretty disastrous. Uh, and we're going to have to, to learn very carefully um, from this not to behave that way in future. We ought to have been able to handle this with a, uh, with a voluntary restrictions that saved old people who were most at risk from getting close to the virus but didn't interfere with young people going about their business and earning their living. Uh, and that, I think, is one of the things we've got to do. In my book called How Innovation Works, I, I, I write about vaccines, I write about drugs, I write about all these innovations. And I think the other lesson we have to learn uh, is that we didn't do enough innovation in vaccine development and other things before this uh, pandemic came along because we knew it was possible. I'm so afraid that we're going to get past this and the same thing is is going to happen, uh, is going to happen again. We're just going to lose interest in it once we get past it and and then no one's going to follow up. Go ahead, Glenn. Yeah. Um, uh, How innovation works is uh, Stu is, I mean, Matt, he worships a small idol of you. Uh, you really changed his life, and uh, I've read uh, your book, How Innovation Works. It's really, really, really good, and everybody should read it. Uh, we appreciate you being on with us. Thank you so much. Matt Ridley, the rational optimist, uh, rationaloptimist.com, and the name of his book is How Innovation Works and Why It Flourishes in Freedom. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Last night I did a, uh, a special on the most dangerous cult in America, and it is this, this Marxist cult that is out now part of this cancel culture, and uh, it doesn't matter what you say, you, you know, you're a racist, whether you like it or not, and all of these companies that are playing right into this and um, firing people, apologizing for things that you know, they may not have ever done. Uh, and I think, I think people are starting to catch on that it could happen to them. There's a story of a, of a, uh, uh, principal up in Vermont that is, it's just the most remarkable story. She said, I firmly believe that, uh, in black lives, uh, that black lives matter, but I don't agree with the coercive measures taken to get this point across. Some of which are falsified in an attempt to prove a point. While I want to get behind BLM, I don't think that the people should be made to feel that they have to choose black race over human race. While I understand the urgency to feel compelled to advocate for black lives, what about our fellow law enforcement officials? What about all the others who advocate we advocate for and demand equity for all? Just because I walk around, uh, just because I don't walk around with a BLM sign doesn't mean that I'm not a racist or that I am a racist. Well, she's been suspended. What did she say wrong? Now, as bad as this is, imagine being fired for doing literally nothing. 
And then having the people who claimed you were doing something wrong recant and say, uh, you know what? No, I had it wrong. I don't think it was a racist thing. And your employer won't hire you back. This is what's happening to a California man who was fired from his job because someone, he was on the road, someone took a picture of his hand outside of his, outside of his truck and he was cracking his knuckles. That's what he said. But they said he was forming the OK sign, which is alleged white power. Are you kidding me? Do you not have anything else to do with your life? So his name is Emmanuel Cafferty. He was fired from his position at San Diego Gas and Electric um, because the Twitter user posted this, which has now been deleted, said that he was a San Diego Gas and Electric employee, and he was making the white power symbol near a Black Lives rally. (laughs) Well, he's Mexican-American. He said, I just was cracking my knuckles. And he's been charged, tried now, and convicted on social media. Uh, and he lost his job when the other person said, I got it wrong. San Diego Gas and Electric didn't care. He's with us now in his first uh, interview. Uh, his name is uh, Emmanuel Cafferty, a Mexican-American. Welcome to the program, Emmanuel. How are you? Well, other than being unemployed, I'm fine. So when our producers reached out to you, um, you said you just want your you just want your job back. Uh, And then we reached out to, uh, you know, San Diego Gas and Electric. And they said uh, our employees are held to a high standard and expected to live up to our values every day. Whether in interactions with fellow employees of the public, we conducted a good faith and thorough investigation that included gathering relevant information and multiple interviews and took action in line with those values. While we're not able to reveal the full circumstances surrounding our investigation, Mr. Cafferty's separation from the company, we stand by our decision and will not be commenting any further. So basically what they're saying is, they know you're a racist, but they can't tell anybody why you're a racist. <laughs> Maybe. Or they're just saying they don't want to admit they made a mistake. So, um, and you, you do you still want to work with those people? Yeah, I do. I, I, I thought I was the best position I could be. I worked three and a half years. To get that position, and the day that I was hired by them was one of my proudest days. And to lose it in this fashion, it's it's like it's baffling. And yeah, I, I want to work. I still want to work there. And you say that you have special skills. That your job that you did, what you trained for, is very specialized. And so there are not a lot of these jobs around. Correct. What it, what is it you do? Underground utility locating. So how and how do you do that? Do you have to crawl through the sewers, or you just no no? You no. use a scope of some sort. Or? Anytime someone wants to dig, they need to know what's underground, right? There's a gas line okay. there. There's a power line there. Phone line, whatever. Okay. So, you know, we All we right. have special tools that can. Show where they're at. We'll paint it on the ground, and you know everyone can see where it's at. 
Now, you have three daughters uh, and a grandson that lives with you, uh, and you were fired without any severance. Correct. That was just it. Yeah. How are you paying for things? Uh, It's only been a couple weeks so far, so, you know, had a little bit of savings. But uh, it's going to be tough here coming up, especially in the uh, COVID climate we're living in. Well, not only that, Emmanuel, but your former company has issued a statement that said that they know you are a racist. They just can't tell anybody why. I mean, I, I don't know how you're going to find a job with a with your former company saying that. I mean, yeah. do you have a clan? Have you ever been a member of the clan? Are you? Do you know things that the average person doesn't no, know? Because I, mean, I honestly, I would look at that statement and say uh, I'm blackballed forever. Yeah, l- luckily, when you look at my face and you see that I'm I'm Mexican American, it's not going to be the first thing to come up to your mind that I might be a clan member. <laughs> So you started a petition on change.org. Correct. Uh, to, to try to convince your company to hire you back instead of a fundraising peti- uh, petition, right? This is, you're saying, yeah, well, help me raise enough voices to say, hire me back. Correct. There is now a uh. GoFundMe account with my name. At, you know, at the GoFundMe site for legal fees in case, because I'm, I'm, I'm not going to take this standing, you know, I'm not going to sit down taking this. This is It's just completely unfair. If it can happen to me, it can happen to somebody else. So I'm going to go as far as I can to make as much noise as I can to uh, kind of right this wrong. So are you going for possibly a wrongful termination lawsuit or sue the guy that sicked the mob on you for civil damages? Or Do you even know who it was that sicked the mob on you? We kind of figured it out. We kind of got a name. He's since removed his account, which, which is even more maddening. He's even gave a statement to the local media, the, to the news, and re- basically recanted everything he you charged me of doing and uh well all, yeah all so he did is all he did is said you he said you were making the white supremacist uh uh symbol the okay sign and how far away were you when when that picture was taken do you even know from the black lives matter rally yeah, no i i do know it's over a mile so, so you were sending a message to protesters that were a mile away? Is that what they're alleging? Well, well they, no. Uh, they just took his word for it. Uh, he, he, he framed a picture with his captions, with his story of the ver- his version of the story, and they, for whatever reason, either they believed his story more than mine, or they just didn't care, or just because it was that week, that, you know, the... A week with all the racial uprising, and neither he just didn't want to deal with it. He believed him more than me. I don't know, but his version of it was full of lies. The way he put it on Twitter was just full of lies, and that's what happened. And and I'm dealing with the repercussions. 
We're talking to Emmanuel Cafferty, who was fired for uh, allegedly giving a white supremacist signal signal as he was driving past a rally. Emmanuel, as I look at this, what I see a mile, a mile uh, past the rally, a mile past the rally. Uh, What I what I look at when I look at this, I see um, a situation where a lot of people are really stupid on social media and a lot of people allege things that are false on social media. And a lot of people do really stupid things on social media. And while the person who alleged this is seemingly clearly in the wrong here, it's a totally different standard to be held by an employer. They seem to me to be the one who is really at fault here and have taken... I mean, they've they've smeared your name. They've smeared your reputation. They've taken your job. They really are the ones who are, con- in a way, confirming this ridiculous allegation against you. To me, they seem to be the the ones who are most at fault here. Is is that how you see it as well? No. No, I don't. I, I see, like, what this guy did. He's like a real-life troll. He put me and the company in a, in a tough position. One, they have to make a decision whether, you know, a company like that is going to just say, we have no, we have no uh, patience for racism. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to, you know, make a big, bold statement. And unfortunately for me, I ended up being the sacrificial lamb for that. But had this guy just stayed in his own lane, had this guy not went out of his way, to take a picture, first of all, I'm not even making a white supremacist gesture in the picture he takes. Right. And if he didn't, and if he doesn't put that online, tagging my my employer, tagging every news outlet in the city, none of this will happen. This the actions of this one troll is the reason why I don't have a job today. Mm. It's a very adult way of handling it. I don't know that I would have the same restraint, but I, I would say oh, it does boy, give the company I wouldn't. A, a real out here and a possibility to make this right, um, where they can rehire you and 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 make this into a situation where you know social media got out of control. They made a wrong decision and can correct it. They still have a window here. It seems like you're giving them a manual, and uh, they should definitely take it. And just more than kind, I personally would be living off of the profits of a uh, litigation uh, suit uh, that would never go to court because they would settle for big dollars because unless they have something on you that they really can't say, they've just said, we fired you. Yeah, and well, that might not be right. We did our investigation and homework, and this guy, man, is he a racist? And I think you're going to have a hard time finding a job uh, after that. Yeah, yeah, they could say that. They could say that. My interaction with him at all is against their public image, and that's why I'm fired. Mm. Well, I wish you the best of luck, Emmanuel. I'm sorry this happened to you or anybody, um, but uh, I appreciate it. And uh, like Stu said, you're being much more, I guess, Christ-like than I would be. Um, But uh, the best of luck. And you can go to change.org or to, uh, uh, what's the other one? GoFundMe. That are raising money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, GoFundMe. His name is Emmanuel Cafferty. Emmanuel Cafferty. Thank you so much, Emmanuel. I appreciate it. God bless. Does anybody else think that that's just bowing down to this company? I mean, these companies are bowing down to everybody. If you don't teach these companies a lesson, they're not going to stop. They'll throw anybody under the bus. Yeah. Throw anybody under the bus. It's it's an interesting approach there because it seems like he really does want the job back. And I I certainly would not want to go back to a company that treated me that way. But I think he's he's looking at this and saying, look, I, I... 
you know, this person made a false accusation. I can understand why companies get pressured into these situations, especially in this current environment. So mm. he's given them another chance. I mean, this is a gift from this guy. He does not have to provide I this know. gift to this company. They should take I don't him think up they on take it. it. Hmm. Yeah. 